All right, all right, all right. <laughs> <laughs> what movie was that in from Matthew McConaughey? That is from uh, Days and Confused, oh, which is a phenomenal yeah. film that we don't really recommend, we, but I, we, I recommend it. We, we have to, uh, John Tesh here with Gib Gerard, and this is going to be a great podcast. You're going to love this. You're going to be so much more productive after this. But I do, I want to talk about Matthew for a second because, you know, I listen to all these motivational videos, uh-huh. and, I'll, and I'll, send you, I'll, I'll, I'll post links for you guys at home in your car, wherever you are. Uh, and um, But he's, he's become quite a motivational speaker, Matthew McConaughey. Basically, all of these big actors, uh, you know, the, these big movie stars have, have sort of switched by being a little bit more transparent. They have become very motivational. Have you watched it? Like Will Smith does yeah, it. Yeah, oh yeah. The Rock is all about yeah, it. Yeah, and sure. Matthew McConaughey's Oscar speech and, and, was... And Denzel uh, Washington. Oh, Denzel. I mean, yeah. He's, I mean, he's always been that way. To be fair, Denzel Washington has always been that kind of guy who's like, you need to you need to reach up and grab the brass ring. You just need to do it. Um, <laughs> that's his MO. But the uh, but but this whole thing where these... Because acting is a really tough game. You have to grind and grind and grind and grind right, and grind and face right, rejection right, constantly right, right, right. and do bad projects yeah. and good projects. And, and you, have to have, you have to see the... You have to see the goal before anybody else knows the goal even exists, and that is the kind of stuff that we talk about when we do these these podcasts about on the process. It's it's what Steve Jobs saw. Steve Jobs saw personal computing before anybody even thought personal computing could be a thing. Yeah. In the same way, you, you know, everybody Matt, laughed at him too. You yeah. Know? And Matthew McConaughey sees his roles in a way that nobody else sees yeah. them until yeah. he does them. Who would have thought that the guy from uh, uh, what was the movie he did with with Kate Hudson where they um, uh, were 10 things I hate no it was um, how to lose a guy in 10 days okay nobody thinks the guy from how to lose a guy in 10 days is going to turn in the performance he did in true detective right. or right. or in Dallas Buyers Club Amazing. where he wins the Oscar Amazing. he has to see that and that's where that motivational concept comes with that visualization technique that he's and his Oscar speech was all it was all about how his hero is the him from tomorrow. And he oh, to I know. To that. Yeah, 10 years from now. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah that yeah. was so awesome. Yeah, and that's part of these motivational videos. And so, um, you know, a lot of what we're going to talk about today is coming from people like, uh, not, not in this particular episode, but from people like Matthew McConaughey, who have studied greatness, and also Will Smith and these guys. Um, and, uh, I, you know, there's also a guy named, uh, you mentioned the grind, there's a guy named Eric Thomas who is in all these uh, videos that I watch on YouTube and listen to, and he's like, you got to be you gotta be ready to grind. And, and his whole thing is the beast. You know, everybody wants to be a beast until you have to do what beasts do. Yeah. You know, and that's that thing of uh, getting up at 4.30 in the morning. Everybody wants a, a summer body, but right. not everybody's willing to put yeah. down the cheeseburger and pick up a weight. So much work. So we're going to go over uh, the processes, the processes of some of these people who, are, who have written best-selling books and who also... Um, are very successful themselves. So what the most productive and successful people do to make themselves the most productive and successful people uh, as scientifically proven ways to help you tackle your to-do list, right? We'll be sharing insights from a number of respected researchers. And one of them, Gib, is one of your favorites I know. And I've, I've read a lot of his stuff, Sean Acker. Yep. We've had him on the radio show before. Sean is a Harvard researcher, but he also wrote this uh, best-selling book, The Happiness Advantage. And, and you can just tell from all the books on happiness that are popping up on uh, on my recommendation engine in uh, Amazon, they were all looking for that. Um, well, the mo- that's the thing about modern life. And, and, and by the way, we we did this on the radio show. This 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 the the number one class at Yale right now. Oh yeah, is the happiness class. Six hundred people signed yeah. up for that thing. Well, yeah. well he, look, modern life is full of amazing luxuries. I mean, even you know, even in we we are the first generation where 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 people who can't afford good food way more than people who can. 
Um, that's that's a, that's a crazy paradigm, and, and and we have absolutely we have global poverty, we have national poverty. It, it, it exists, but it's a very different level of comfort than any other generation in human history has has been able to enjoy. And with that comes a lack of purpose, because when you don't have to go out and kill your meat in the morning, when you, uh, for the last hundred and something years we haven't had to worry about that. When you when that's not a part of your daily paradigm the purpose of everything that you do begins to lose its importance. And so we have a whole generation, especially now that we're all connected and we can see people doing whatever that is that they're doing, that goes, well, why? Why, why, am, I, why am I getting out of bed in the morning? Right. Why am I doing this right. stuff? Yeah. And it creates this sort of general malaise, this ennui that used to be reserved for the, for the uh, leisure class and is yeah. now available to everybody. Yeah, that's, that's really, really well said. Uh, and you know what's interesting about, about uh, being able to watch people and copy them is that you know, one of my favorites, Lin-Manuel Miranda, who wrote, uh, you know, In the Heights and also the theater piece uh, Hamilton, he he took us along on a ride uh, on Twitter and on his Instagram page. Mm-hmm. You can actually see how he went. I couldn't copy what he was doing, but you, you were able to see what his process was. And when he gave, he gives commencement speeches and what he says to college students is, you know what, if you're going to do this, you're going to have to give up your friends. I mean, he's just right on it, you know. What's your favorite line from uh, uh, the the Israeli violinist? Oh, yeah, Itzhak Perlman, uh, a woman has a backstage passes after he plays this amazing concert, uh, you know, from a wheelchair in, uh, at uh, Carnegie Hall. And she comes in, she goes, oh, Mr. Perlman, Mr. Perlman, I would give my life to play the violin like you. And he said, um, Madame, I did. And <laughs> it's so true because all these books that I love to read, mm-hmm. it's, they can all just sort of throw out all the other pages and just say, do, you know, do, do the work. Right. Um, so let's let's get into um, Sean's stuff. Um, his uh, first the first thing our author Sean from um, uh, from a Harvard researcher and uh, author of The Happiness Advantage, the first thing he recommends is um, a gratitude exercise. So now his process is write down three things you're grateful for that occurred over the last 24 hours. So not something that happened a month ago, but over the last 24 hours, focus on that. They don't have to be profound. It could be a really good cup of coffee for you, right? Mm-hmm. Or the warmth of a sunny day. But write down three things you're grateful for that occurred over the last 24 hours. And, that, and look, and that, that's going to put your mindset into a gratefulness mindset because when we become what we think about. So if you think about the things that were positive for the day, you will be more positive in the following 24 hours because you searched. You went through the day and you went like, what did I really like about yesterday? Because I got to tell you, my tendency is to th- focus on the things that I hated about the past 24 hours. The stuff that, it's like a, a rock in my shoe, right? right? And it just wears and wears and wears until my foot is bleeding. That is how I approach most days. This gratefulness mindset, and, and I don't know if you've seen online, I have, I have like five different ones that I'm experimenting with, but there are all of these productivity journals. There are journals and schedulers and planners that you handwrite. And I, there's nobody that loves digital more than I do, but I'm embracing the handwritten yeah, journal lately. Yeah. And uh, every single one of them has a, uh, a uh, um, I want to say gratuity exercise, but a gratefulness exercise every single day. And that will change your mindset because you will then begin to look for things as they happen that you are grateful for. Uh, there was this great movie. Uh, nobody really saw it, it's, uh, but it was phenomenal. It's called About Time. Did you see that movie? Yes, I did. Where, yeah. uh, with um, uh, Rachel McAdams and, and um, uh, Gleason, Donald Gleason. And he, it's about a guy who has the power to go back in time. And mm-hmm. the, where he ends up uh, is he lives, he relives every day of his life a second time and does it in a way where he looks for things to be grateful for throughout the day. And that is where he finds his joy. And that is the, a great takeaway. 
you got to look for those things. You don't have to do it. You don't have to live a day twice in order to figure out how to be grateful for it. Just reflect on it every single day and you'll, you'll be more positive. I guarantee it. Yeah, that's awesome advice. Uh, Sean Acker also says um, he wants us to take one positive experience. So we're still in a 24-hour period. One positive experience for the past, from the past 24 hours. Spend two minutes. Here's that journaling thing again. Write down every detail about that positive experience from the past 24 mm-hmm. hours. He says, if you do this, then as you remember it, your brain is going to label it as meaningful and it deepens the imprint. It's going to be easier for you to uh, to do that again, to repeat that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that, again, the more you reflect yeah, on it, the more yeah. it becomes reality. Now, here's here's one that I have not done. Um, I always get a I always get a, a burst of dopamine when I do do it. When I think of uh, oh my gosh, you know Scott White, who gave me my first start in, in radio. I need to send him a, an email. But here's here is uh, Sean's tip. He says he sends a two minute thank you email every morning, right? Spends two minutes on mm-hmm. this. He says the simplest thing we can do is sending a two-minute email praising or thanking one person that we know and do that for a different person every day for 21 days in a row. And the reason he's saying 21 days is, of course, it forms a habit. Right. So Sean says his research at Harvard, right? And again, he's a, he's a happiness researcher, Sean is. His research has revealed that doing that simple email thing is powerful for the receiver and also the sender. Everybody gets dopamine. Dopamine for everybody. It's, it's, yeah, it's like an episode of Oprah. You're getting dopamine. You're getting dopamine. <laughs> Everybody's getting dopamine. Uh, the, the, the beautiful thing about that is that it's, it's twofold. One, it gets you to reflect on your, um, on your gratefulness, which, is, which, again, we've been talking about ad nauseum for the last five minutes. But that is, that is fundamental in you be approaching every future event with an, an attitude of gratefulness and an attitude of acceptance. And then the other thing it does is it gives the other person a, a dopamine jolt. But but we always we also talk about if you want to be more successful in life in general, you've got to have a network of people. You've got to have a, a a board. You know, if you if you're the CEO of you incorporated, then you need a you need a board of of directors. And the more you engage people with what you're thankful for, for nobody likes anything more than to hear about how awesome they are. What's the old? Ah. Ad, was the old adage? Nobody ever went broke by appealing to the ego of a rich man. Oh, yeah, it's 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 true though. But because because the more everybody likes to get that email that says, "Hey, you're great." Think about that right now. Somebody sent you an email saying how great you were. You would be ecstatic, right? Yeah. So you're ingratiating yourself into these people's lives. As long as it comes from a genuine place, I don't think there's anything uh, untoward about it. And uh, and ultimately, you're now building a, a group of people that care about you because you've gotten into their heads that you're grateful for them. Those people will will think of you when they're, oh, what a great project I have, I, a great project idea I have for John. I'm going to do this. You know, I'm going to give him a call. All of a sudden, that's going to be in their heads, and, and you are going to see that pay dividends in selfish ways as well as in selfless ways. You said something a few minutes ago, and I, I jotted it down to, uh, to as a reminder to to um, to dig back into it. Uh, in fact, I just sent this uh, to one of our employees today because it's right out of uh, Proverbs. I'd have to look it up, but I know it's in Proverbs. But um, you said, you know, we become what we think about, mm-hmm. and that is from Proverbs. You know, as a man thinketh, so is he. Mm-hmm. Um, and as a lot of people connect this to Oprah, Oprah has said it, but it wasn't. It didn't originate from there. But James Allen wrote the book, "As a Man Thinketh." And um, it is that thing of, you know, you got to be careful with this sort of 
uh, you know, manifesting uh, manifesto. Right. But it, but it basically is if you're thinking about how bad the day is going to go. Oh, right? yeah. If you're thinking about how bad you feel, how bad your relationship is going to be, eventually you're going to drive that car right into the wall because you right. just that's what you're focused on. You become what you think about most of the time. Yeah, and you think about how fruitless and pointless everything is. And, and, right. and, and, uh, and, that, and but, but that will, you're going to create that cycle. We talk all the time. You're going to create that cycle in your brain because we talk all the time about fake it till you make it mentally. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm not talking about clinical depression where you have an actual... Um, issue with your body producing serotonin and dopamine. I'm talking about just just general malaise that a lot of people get, especially in modern life. And you can mentally uh, fix a good portion of that by just changing your mindset, by being intentional about how you're thinking about things. The, and, and this is also why that we constantly say, do your toughest task of the day first right. thing in yep. the morning. Yep. Because if you're looking forward or not looking forward to it, but it's ahead of you the whole day, that is going to literally ruin your day because all you're going to be thinking about is how badly that could go, how what, what could happen there. And, and the reality is it's probably not going to, A, not going to go as badly as you think it will. But B, and also importantly, it, will, um, it won't hang over your head the whole day and won't have that negative pull on your right. heart right. for the whole day. Right, right. Uh, here is another uh, tip from Sean Acker. Uh, he says he uses something called the twenty second rule. To, I love. To I love this. Build habits. Yeah, you found this for us. It's great. He says we need to do whatever we can to make a positive habit three to twenty seconds easier to start. He says our likelihood of cementing that habit rises dramatically. Uh, and by the way, this is the whole premise of Mel Robbins. You love her Mel Robbins book, um, the, the five, five second, second rule. rule. Yeah, five four three two one. Yeah, she says. You know, but before you uh, make any decision, count five, four, three, two, one, and then, and then go, pull the trigger. And go ahead and pull the trigger; otherwise, you can talk yourself out of it. So, here are the specifics of this twenty-second uh, habit builder. Uh, he says, "You lay out your." And we've talked about this on the radio so many times. Tip number one: lay out your workout clothes the night before. I just did it last night, mm-hmm. uh, or pre-cut some vegetables and put them in a baggie so they're easier to eat when you're looking for a snack. Yep. That's so great. Put it in your backpack. I, well, you know, we do this when we travel, right? Uh-huh. You, all, you bring all of your stuff because you're ketogenic. Yeah. Uh, cool. and, he, and he says we can do the opposite to make our negative habits uh, take 20 seconds longer. So if you're watching too much TV or whatever, you're on the internet too much, take out the batteries of the remote control and you create a 20-second delay to go find the batteries. It dramatically decreases the amount of television you watch. Those are two great hacks. Yeah, so I, I also also delete all of the social media apps from your phone. Oh, you did this. I can't do it. Yeah, I, I you, you delete the one. You, you took you, Facebook off, I right? I took Facebook off. I've just recently taken Instagram off my phone. And if I if I want to do Instagram for work or if I want to do, you know, if I want to, if I want to have that, that time, I got to download the app. I got to log back in. And that little bit of time, yeah, it gets me out yeah. of the habit it, it it actually revalues it for me because now when I go and I check it, I'm it's an intentional time of me checking in with people in my life, and I'm more I'm not just scrolling through mindlessly. I'm actually looking for people that I haven't connected with in a right. while and looking yeah. to reconnect with them. It changes the whole paradigm for that, and it makes me it gets me out of that habit that uh, what I think is ultimately a very destructive habit of just mindlessly looking for likes and posts and and not really connecting with those people. And that, that creates a dopamine cycle in your brain that is literally addicting. It is literally chemically addicting, that yeah, dopamine, cycle, yeah. uh, dopamine cycle where, you, where you're going through that. So that's, that's a great way. And then we've also talked about, I mean, this is the whole concept of meal prep. We've talked you know, yep. this idea of cutting vegetables because you will always go, especially later in the day when your willpower is the lowest, you will always find the path of least resistance. So that path of least resistance is going to be a box of cookies, a box of pre-made food, 
that that you didn't that you didn't want to eat, but it was the easiest thing to eat. So that's you know a salad takes a while to make. Make the salad ahead of time. That's that's all, every every super fitness guru on Sundays they make their meals for the whole week. You know um, Leslie Odom Jr. who played um, uh, Aaron Burr in in Hamilton, and and we we met him a couple of times, Gib. Um, I saw an interview with, we didn't, we didn't talk about this after the show with him, but I saw an interview with him where, where they were talking about, you know, how do you do so many things? You released a record, you got this, mm-hmm. you know, this Broadway show and you got to rehearse and this, and that. And he said, one, one of my keys is exactly what you're talking about is that he actually hired somebody to prepare his meals for the week. That, and that's for, that's what's happening now with these guys at blue apron and, mm-hmm. and those, uh, those apps. There are so many great there. meal prep services. You can subscribe to them if you have, if you have the money and don't have the time. Yeah, awesome. So that's all from Sean Acker, all those tips, and they're all really great and useful. You, you can plug them right in. Um, Sean, the Harvard researcher, if you want to get his book where this is all uh, laid out, it's The Happiness Advantage. Um, you know, Please do that. Please yeah, get, but get the his two book. Two big things, just if you want to sum it up. Make sure you're looking for gratefulness. Make sure you're looking for things in the last 24 hours you can be grateful uh, for, and also that you're telling the people for whom you are grateful that you're grateful for them right, every day. Right. And then the 22nd rule, make good habits 20 seconds easier and bad habits 20 seconds harder. That's good. Good wrap up. Uh, so Tim Ferriss is one of our favorites. He wrote The 4-Hour Body and The 4-Hour Work Week and some other books. He has, uh, you know, he has a blog or email that's got uh, too many, uh, two million, too many, mm-hmm. two million uh, subscribers. Has a very, very popular uh, podcast, and so that's a big reason we got ketogenic. Was right, was his yeah, podcast. yeah, and the reason I have uh, kettlebells in the house now is because of, because of Tim mm. Ferriss and and all the interviews that he's done on his on his podcast. But he's got some really uh, good tips for productivity, and his whole thing is, you know, he's uh, he experiments on himself all the time with everything. And he's always uh, trying to find new ways to be uh, productive. I think one of my favorite books of his is A Tribe of Mentors, where he takes, uh, you know, it's probably like four or five pages for you can just page through it and just land on anything. And it's, and it's these real high level uh, uh, experts, CEOs, um, musicians, all the way down the line, sports figures, and uh, you know, what, they, what they do for, for example, a morning process. So uh, Tim says that research tells us. How we start the day it has the biggest effect on productivity, and mm-hmm. so many authors. No uh, question. Linda Vanderkam, who wrote "What the Most Successful People Do Before Breakfast," also believes this. So Tim, with his experience and all of his interviews, recommends having the first eighty to ninety minutes of your day vary as little as possible. Yep. He says the routine is necessary to feel in control and reduce anxiety. I agree. That way, you're not reacting to emails and phone calls, but you're being proactive about how you're spending your time making you more productive. And that's this, that's the big thing that's going on now with, uh, with everybody, uh, whether you're all of a sudden you get an angry, look at the president, right? He's like yeah. re- reacting to everything on, exactly. on, on Twitter. And once you do that, then, uh, then you've, uh, you've sort of burned down your ritual for the morning. And, and, and he's a, he's an author. So it's particularly uh, important for him to have that regimented time every day, because if you're, if you're, if you're trying to write, and somebody keeps interrupting you. It's, I mean, it's 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 grinding gears. You get in and out of that mode all the time. Uh, most most people would say I mean, Hemingway, for all of his alcoholism and craziness, he would write every single morning until noon. He would just get up early and he would write for the first half of his day. Yeah, and that and he had that, and that's how he was able to be so prolific and an alcoholic. It's not easy to do. <laughs> uh, but that, but that's that's the point, right? Is that he had that time set aside. And now we, we have these dinging things in our pockets 
shutting that off is is really hard. But if you have that sort of dedicated time and everybody knows that they're not going to be able to get a hold of you unless it's an emergency during that time, you really can't. You'd be amazed at what you can get done in 90 minutes of uninterrupted time. Yeah. As long as you're yeah. not surfing the net for doing nothing, you will be uh, you will be more productive than you will, could even imagine. So Tim uh, Ferris says uh, he believes that checking email in the morning is just a cardinal sin. He says, uh, again, you're setting yourself up to react. And he says, you got to remember um, the importance of starting your day in control, just, right. what, just what Gibbs said. So Ferris says, research has also proven that checking email frequently is the equivalent of <laughs> dropping your IQ 10 points. Yeah. Wow. Wow. And, and you know, by the way... Um, I think you did. Did you read Driven to Distraction when everybody thought that you and I both had ADD? The ADD book, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's a great book, by the way. If you think that you have adult uh, ADD, I read this and just sort of saw myself in the book. They didn't end up medicating me. They tried and didn't work out. Uh, but Ed Hollowell uh, wrote Driven to Distraction. He's a former professor at Harvard Medical School. Um, and he says, we have, wow, this is deep. Give you ready for this? He says, we have culturally generated ADD. Oh, no question. He says, because of the modern connected life, we all have more shiny things available to us 24-7 than any human being has ever had. No question. Yeah. And that's and that, again, that's the point of this intentional time, right? Is you're retraining your brain. Our brains were not designed to, I mean, our brains were designed to uh, be aware of our surroundings to the point where every noise and every flashy thing that goes by was meant to catch our attention because mm -hmm. it was the difference between us eating and not eating, right? That's how our lizard brains were made. So that we, we see that thing, and if there's something moving in our eye line, it gets our attention. If there's something that's more colorful than the rest of the things around it, that gets our attention because it's different. It breaks the pattern. Mm -hmm. That is literally what our brains are meant to do, and our lives used to depend on it. So now we create these artificial versions of it. That ding is the sound of a bird that we could have eaten flying through the, <laughs> through the foliage. That's the ding of the email, and it right. gets our attention in the same way and feeds our brain in the same way that we used to use for hunting and gathering. Mm -hmm. And that is why our brains are so become so easily wired to our devices and become so addicted to it. And, it is, and, and those are not useful things. I'm not going to eat or not if I get the email... Uh, email with the top 10 books of the week from somebody, right? That's not going to make or break my life, right. but my brain thinks that it is, and it, and it gives it that same importance, and that kills the things that are important to me, that do add value to my life, that will determine whether I eat for the next 10 years or not, and that is the really frustrating yeah, thing about what we've done to ourselves. That's good. Uh, Dr. Hollowell says the answer to this is uh, to focusing, right? He, <laughs> this is this is pretty uh, intense. He says, you got to lock yourself somewhere yeah. to make all the flashing, buzzing distractions go away. Or, and you and I have done this, we, we have this with the Do Not Disturb on our, our iPhones, you have designated unplug times when mm -hmm. you turn off your notifications and focus yep. on whatever is most important uh, that day. Now, it's hard for you because you've got three kids under the age of six. Yes. So, uh, but but I think you probably know how to do this, where you can turn off everything but your fam but your wife, right? Right. So you can set in. Uh, I have an iPhone, and I think you, I'm sure you can have more control even than this on an Android. But you can you can have do not disturb for everybody but a small group of people. So if I'm not with my kids, I have my do not disturb on, and then the babysitters' uh, phone calls and text messages will come through or whoever's watching it. So I have like a little mini group and that'll let, it'll only let those things through. Mm -hmm. The other thing is kids are a huge distraction, but I find 
that I am unintentional in my time with them and they become a distraction because I'm not intentional about them or about the work that I'm trying to do. Yeah. So one of the things that I do in the morning now is from seven to eight when I'm getting them ready, instead of checking my email, which we've just talked about how bad that is, instead of reacting to what's going to happen in the day, I have my phone down and the notifications off and I'm intentional in that time with them and that creates a basis for my relationship with my kids for the whole day. So right. even though they are tiny little bottles of distraction that walk around the house with needs that change constantly, I am in tune with those needs and they become not the distraction but the intentional thing that I'm doing for that time and that is that is key. So Tim Ferriss says he believes, um, and here this is again because we're talking about the process, right? Ferris believes defining routines and systems is more effective than relying on on self-discipline. Now, mm-hmm. he not only believes this, but also Ryan Holiday, who wrote The Obstacle is the Way and and um, and Perennial Seller, among other books, believes the same thing. In ego fact, is the enemy. Is yeah, yeah. So ego is the enemy, especially Obstacle is the Way, uh, Ryan's book, is being used by sports teams, you know, all over uh, all over the world right now. And so what they focus on especially uh, Belichick and, um, and Tom Brady, right? We know this to be true because we've, we've read so many interviews, and I've read his book, TB12, is they don't ever focus. I mean, I'm sure they're thinking in the back of their mind about winning and what the score is and all that mm-hmm. because it, it changes your strategy. But they're thinking, they, all they do is think about the process. Everybody, right. and that's, that's that whole thing of if anybody, you know, all, all of a sudden starts, you know, jukeboxing or juking, juking and jiving uh-huh. uh, on, a, on a play, the whole thing falls apart. But if you work there, that's all they focus on is working the daily process, the routine, and then they feel like the score is going to come up on the scoreboard the way they want it to. Well, so football is, what was that great speech in the Oliver Stone movie? Football, like life, is a game of inches. Yeah, right. <laughs> one yeah. one Al, step too fast. Al, Al Pacino. Yeah, and you miss the ball. One step too short, too slow, and you miss the ball. It's yeah. The whole yeah. thing about how how important timing is. And this, by the way, Google or search in, in YouTube Al Pacino locker room speech. It's exactly what Gibb is talking about. You can get the long version there. Yeah. He's doing, he did a good job on it. I, that's the summary, right? Yeah. But the the, the parallels between and, and look, I, football has all kinds of problems with both the behavior of the players and. Uh, what it does to your brain long term. I'm not. I'm not advocating for football, but <laughs> here is the big benefit to sports in general and football in particular. It is that mindset of if I take that one step forward, it is going to get me that much closer to the goal. It is that if I run this play the way that we practiced it, it has the best chance of success. It is that daily grind where you do things that hurt now because you will get the glory later. It is that breakdown of your own. Uh, your own selfishness in the moment and thinking like a team player, all of that is hugely beneficial. And all of that is exactly what they're talking about here. It is, I don't need, I don't need to be the guy that scores. I can be the guy that hits the guy that's going to tackle the guy that's going to score. Right. And that is just as important as the guy that scores. It is, is being able to see the forest for the trees in those moments. That is, that is a huge benefit to sports in general, but football in particular. And, um, and, and again, there's nothing that is more routined than the staccato start and stop of a football game. Well, and it's nice to see, too, that, I mean, still using football as an example, that um, that your favorite player who just went to uh, the Patriots, what's his name? Oh, yeah, James Harrison. James, James Harrison. It's nice to see that players like that, who are either on the line or who, who play defense, not, not the flashy cornerbacks, but they're starting to make as much money as the wide receivers. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because, because they know how important that is through the process. And James Harrison's 40 years old, and he's playing middle linebacker. Now, Tom Brady is also 40. Right. Tom Brady is a quarterback, 
And for those of you that don't know the game of football, quarterback is a very hard position. I am not taking away from it, but it is it is mostly mental and in your arm uh, and his ability to take a hit occasionally. All of that uh, is great, and you can do that at 40. It's exceptional, but it's possible. Middle linebacker is head down, hit people as hard as you can. You know, these guys last five years normally, and Harrison's been in the league for, what, 20? Mm-hmm. So it's, it, it's, it's an unbelievable situation that he's in. And, and you see, the greatest thing about following him on Instagram is you see every single day, the dude does not skip a day in the weight room. He is pushing his body and in both uh, in both his exercises and his recovery methods. He does hyperbaric chambers. He does acupuncture. He does cupping. All of those things that are uh, oh, that, cupping, that yeah. just uh, he, he is constantly focused on what the next micro step is in making his body as perfect as it possibly can be for what his job is. There are a couple of more uh, tips from Tim Ferriss, but I'm going to jump ahead um, to another one of my favorite authors. I don't. I think I know, I know you're reading so many books at the same time. I don't think you've gotten to deep work yet, have you? No, but we've yeah. talked about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. So Cal Newport, a professor at Georgetown University, uh, wrote this book, Deep Work. Uh, it's it's actually a, a lot like listening to well Stephen Pressfield, who you have read, which mm-hmm. is uh, which is the War of Art, mm-hmm. and also do the work. Yep. Right, so a lot of these guys, the, the commonality in this, and also in Stephen King's book that, that you turned me on to, on writing, which that's is, a great book because it's not just about how to write, but it's about how to beat alcoholism. It's about how to how to never give up, and it's about the he has a process. He just writes every day, like Diane Warren, Constantly. the great the great songwriter. She writes a song every single day. Stephen King used to write on a pad and paper in mm-hmm. the laundry room yep. while he was waiting for his laundry to get that's done so while his, while he was an English teacher. It's that so, was his thing. It's so great. And I'm reading this book now called The Talent Code. By, it's Danny Coyle, but it's called the Talent Code, and uh, I was just telling you about the story about you know why are why are Brazil we could, we'll do this in the next show uh, we could do a whole thing just with that author is why are Brazilian soccer players you know better than anybody else why are now uh, South Korean uh, female golfers you know doing better than, than than anybody in the world and that never happened before mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and why did the uh, Bronte sisters is that how you pronounce their name? Yeah. Bronte, Bronte. How did they end up writing Bronte, the, Bronte. Bronte sisters? How did they end up writing such incredible novels? And there's a there's a there's a thread in there. It's about doing all the work. So anyway, um, Cal wrote uh, Deep Work, and he says, and it's in the book, he's developed a personal productivity process that has enabled him to be incredibly prolific and still finish working at 5:30 p.m. each day. Gosh, we all should have that. He believes that to-do lists are of the devil. He believes they are evil. He says he schedules everything. Mm-hmm. So he says scheduling makes you realistic about what you can get done uh, until it's on your calendar, until it's assigned an hour. It's just a list of wishful thinking. Boy, right. is this true, right? Right. He also uh, says that scheduling forces us to confront the reality of how much time we really have and how long right. things will take. So here's the example, and I want you to comment on this. He says, okay, so mowing the yard might take 20 minutes. It takes 20 to 25 minutes every time you do it, right? Mm-hmm. But doing your taxes takes hours. But on a to-do list, they're given the same amount of space. Right. Cut yard, do taxes. In a schedule, you can clearly see and manage the size of the tasks. Yes, and, that, and, and you know, that, that, that's another thing about procrastination is you can keep kicking around a to-do list, but when you, are, when you actively schedule the time, then you are forced to face the fact that you're making a choice not to do something in that moment. If I have a list of things that I have to do, and I surf the net for a little bit before I start doing them, if I, if I go, okay, this is the time that I'm going to start working on some stuff on my, and start tackling my to-do list, but first I'm going to have a bagel. All of those things, <laughs> what I'm doing there is I'm making the schedule as I, want I go. I have a bagel so much right now. <laughs> I haven't had any carbs in, in weeks. So the, I'm making the choice. Uh, I'm making the choice in the moment, which is a terrible time to make the choice. If you schedule ahead of time, 
then you are sort of accountable to your past self. Mm -hmm. And being accountable to your past self is also going to keep you accountable to your future self. And it also takes one more decision out of it. How many times have we talked about the fact that our brains are finite decision-making machines? And the more decisions you have to make in a day, yes, you can train your brain to be better at making decisions. Yes, you can strengthen it just like any other muscle. But it will fatigue just like any other muscle where every decision that you make takes away a little bit of willpower. So do the thing, take the morning, do it the night before when you're not faced with the realities of what your, your body would rather be doing mm, in a given mm, moment. That's good. And you write out exactly what you're going to do with every hour of the day. Now, that will change. You will have to deal with things that pop up. Absolutely. Again, this reiterates the importance of having the dedicated time so that you know you'll at least get some of it done, that 90 minutes before you check your email. Mm -hmm. You know, the, the, the distractions will come, the needs will come, but if you have assigned every task an hour or, a, or an appropriate amount of time, then you will constantly be managing that time in the most productive way possible. And you're taking away the minute-to-minute decision-making associated with it because you've already made the choice. Yeah, that's good. That's good. And, and then Cal also says that um, he plans his day backwards. I've never heard anybody do this before, but he says it really works. So he says, okay, as I mentioned earlier, he plans to go home at 5.30. Then he plans backward from that. He calls it a, quote, fixed schedule productivity. Fixed schedule mm. productivity. You set up your ideal schedule. Then you work backwards to make everything fit. Cal's research tells us that feeling in control of your schedule is the best way to prevent burnout, and it keeps you in an amazing mood because you have control. You know how to say no to things yep. that, that pop up that you don't want to deal with. Well, and, and you, know, you know when you do this? You, I see you do this. You do this when you are... When you have a big event, you have a concert yeah, coming up, it's the only time I or do. you have a presentation coming up, you have something or a trip, like a, you know, of a hard out for getting to the airport by a certain time. When you have that hard out, you back plan your whole day. Mm. I watch you do it. Now, mm -hmm. what people don't know, what you guys don't know, is one of the uh, more grueling tasks of being a radio host is something called liners. And that is where you go for every one of your affiliates. You say the you're listening to WKRP in Cincinnati, uh -huh. and you're listening to WKRP in Cincinnati. You know Cincinnati's hot rock station. Whatever it is, you you have to those things that you hear on the radio. You got to record them, and they come in big batches, and they you know they they take they can take a couple hours. Well, it's mind numbing. It it, it can be it absolutely <laughs> it's valuable, but it's mind numbing. Right, and it's important. It's not. I'm not saying that it's anything but a good part of the job, but it is still one of those nudgy tasks that exists when when you're working on, uh, in radio and you got to get them done otherwise the stations get annoyed rightfully so when john has a whole list of those things to do before he has to get out uh, on a given day i watch him he back times the recording and he says no to stuff that's going to ruin the back i can't do that right now it's amazing what he says no to on a day when he has a hard out and he has to get liners done it is it, and it is exactly this thing and at the end of the day how much more productive are you yeah, it's unbelievable. I, I mean, you know, and just just hearing your whole speech there, using me as an example, I think I should try that every day. Well, that's and the point, right? Yeah, and it's supported by Cal too. Yeah, I mean, the, the the interesting thing is that you know when you when you bring your son over or your or, or your daughters, you know, if you're, you you need to, I, I think you need to build if if you know that's going to happen, mm -hmm. you need to build in uh, what would you call that swing time or or um, sure, yeah, yeah. So so you can you know that. If you build a really tight schedule on that day, right. then you're not going to have that experience of, for me, I'm not going to be with my grandkids. Right. And, and whether, that's, whether it's something you want to do, something that's important to you in the long run, right? That's that, uh, playing with kids, playing with your grandkids, being present for, for these people in your life that, that make your life richer, that is something that you, every, almost everybody wants in their life. That is one of those, when I look back on my life, I want to have as many of those moments as mm -hmm. possible kind of things. Yeah, yeah. So 
if you, to your point, if you plan every minute in the most type A way possible, you're going to exclude those times. In the same way, if you plan every minute, when the unexpected comes up and the unexpected will come up, you, your whole schedule will, will be derailed. You need to have those moments, whether it's for emergencies or whether it's for, um, or whether it's for those positive long-term things like being intentional with your kids. That has to be built into your schedule too. You know, I was listening to Jocko Willick's uh, podcast. He's a former Navy SEAL and also has written a couple of books. And he's just been like, I don't know why. He's like one yeah. of those guys, you know. And Navy um, SEALs are generally no nonsense kinds exactly, of guys. Exactly. Yeah. But he had a whole, he had tips about working out, you know. Mm. And he was answering he was answering emails on his podcast. And somebody said, you know, um, when should I, should I take days off? You know, cause, cause typically if you read a weightlifting book or whatever, they say you take two days off a week, mm-hmm. right? It doesn't have to be consecutive, but take two. And he says, he says, you know, don't, don't do that. Don't plan on taking two days off because something's going to happen. Right. And you're going to have to take a day off. Oh, it's so be, true. You're going to be all stressed. It's so yeah. true. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. If you plan the two days off, then, then you lose the momentum. And, and when, when the thing, when the kid gets sick, I mean, I yeah. can't tell you, <laughs> yeah, right. and I, and I can't get up and go to the gym cause I got a kid throwing up right, in my house. Right, right. Well, if I had planned to take the, the following day off and, or I had taken the previous day off right. and I skipped that workout that day when I didn't expect to, now I've ruined my whole schedule and that's going to, that's going to adjust my mindset in a negative way. Couple of more things from Cal Newport as we continue here. Uh, Cal says he recommends we try to, you know, the, the best stuff is simple, right? Mm-hmm. He says we need to try to focus, and to your point, Gib, through this whole thing, he says we need to try to focus on doing very few things but be awesome at them. So he mm-hmm. says, ask yourself, what's creating real value in yes. my life right now? And then eliminate as much as the, uh, of the rest as we can. And this is advice for everything that we talked about today, about being sucked into email and everything. So here's Cal's quote on this. You are going to be judged on what you do best. So if you want to have as much success as possible, you're always better off doing fewer things, but doing those things better. That's, and that's the mantra, I would think, of every successful person. person. Oh. If, you, if you do what we're doing, which is we're looking at successful people's processes, that's what they do is they stay focused. And who, who does that better than anybody right now is Lin-Manuel Miranda, yep. who on 60 Minutes said, they said, how did you do this? Everybody else is, you know, everybody else is trying to do the, you know, the great American musical. You just wrote their most popular musical of all, of all time. He says, I picked a lane. I stayed in the lane. I didn't let anybody, yeah. anybody pull me out of the lane. I focused. Well, and I, I, we've read how many Steve Jobs books between the two of us, yeah, right? No, no. Um, uh, so one of the things Steve Jobs did is when he came back to Apple, Apple had a whole line of, all oh, kinds yeah. of computers. Oh, yeah. The Quadra X2. The, the, the guy from Pepsi came in. I right. can't remember his yeah. name yet as the CEO. And, and, and here's the corporations have very specific computing needs, and they will tell you they, that's, why, that's what happened with BlackBerry. They need, they need computers that have this, but not this. They don't want to pay for that because they're buying 200 machines at a time. So they had created these corporate machines, and they, it was so confusing to go through an Apple catalog and figure out mm-hmm. what kind of computer you want. Yeah. So he came out and he drew a grid, and he grew, his grid was consumer and professional. Uh, desktop and portable, and he and he came up with four different computers to fit each one of those quadrants where those intersected. So he came up with a a professional uh, desktop and a consumer desktop, a professional laptop and a consumer laptop, and that refocused Apple for the next thirty years and turned it into the most valuable company in the world that it is now. Um, that coming back and doing that was was him doing this Occam's razor thing, saying we're going to be judged on how well we make these computers. Let's make a small number of computers great and for specific purposes as opposed to making a computer for everybody else's potential purpose. And what, ha- what happened? The marketplace followed them into that world. You, that, that idea of making a best computer for, each, for those scenarios 
uh, ended up being the thing that made Apple so great again. And we, you know, this underlines a problem that we have in our world right now. We say jack of all trades like a compliment. Oh, look at that guy. He's a jack of all trades. And we've forgotten that it used to be an insult. Jack of all trades, master of none. And the point was, it was, it, was, it was meant to make fun of dabblers, people who did a bunch of things kind of okay, but relatively poorly, versus focusing and being the best at one thing. Right. And that is everybody that we are studying, all of these processes of great CEOs, great thinkers, great artists, they have a process that involves being a master of maybe it's several or maybe it's a cluster of things, but it is really one main thing. And, uh, and that is... They, they, want a, they want a level of mastery in whatever their pursuit is. And the hard part about that is you have to see the finish line in order, be, in order to become a master yeah. of something, yeah. right? You have to see that what mastery will bring, and you have to see what you want to be a master of that is different from what everybody else is doing in order to achieve it because you have to take those micro steps, those daily routines that get you to that level that don't produce short-term benefits but eventually make you a master. That is the hard part. But you have to remember also, jack of all trades, you have to view that as an insult. Well, my dad did. My dad used to say that to me all the time. He used to say, you know, you're a jack of all trades and a master of none when I was, because I was into so many mm-hmm. different things. And then, you know, I used to say, oh, well, you're both, well, look at all this idea. So we're not an expert in any of these things. My dad, mm-hmm. my dad was very judgmental, but, but he, but he Clearly. was right because I've learned, I've learned uh, the hard way. And as you're talking about this, um, I'm, I'm reminded of Barry Schwartz, who wrote The Paradox of Choice, Why, mm-hmm. why More is Less. Now, I don't know if this book was written after Steve Jobs made that, uh, made that move or Steve was inspired by the book. Uh, but, uh, but listen to a couple of his quotes, Barry Schwartz. I just pulled them up. Focus on what makes you happy and do what gives meaning to your life. Exactly what we mm-hmm. said. As, I, I, Cal probably got that from, uh, from him. Uh, and then uh, Barry also says, uh, learning to choose is hard. Learning to choose well is harder Learning to choose well in a world of unlimited possibility is harder still. Possibilities, uh, perhaps it's um, it's it's too hard. Uh, so that, again, that book is the paradox of choice, and he uses the example in the book because I remember reading it years ago, of you know, uh, Snapple, right? It right. used to it used to be. I mean, I mean, so so Barry's premise is um, faced with too many choices, we'll, we won't make any. Yeah, right. Well, if you, yeah. it's the same thing. If you say yes to everything that people ask you to do, you'll do none of them well. Right, and the tr- yeah. and the wheels will come off the train eventually. Yeah, yeah. so 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 he was he talked about the Snapple effect, where you know in the early days it was just it was three flavors of the iced tea, right? Then it became you know, uh, you know, diet peach laced with lemon. <laughs> you know, yeah. just, and you go to the and they have their own you know uh, their own cooler mm-hmm. in a store, and you look at the thing, and you go, I'll, I'll have the diet coke, you know, yeah. because I just can't take this. It's just yeah. too too many because tr- I'm afraid I'll make a, uh, I'm you know I'm like that. Um, I think I'm like that on Amazon sometimes when they recommend too many things or, or, or when a book will pop up. I was like, I don't know. Why you don't end you? up buying all of them. That's, <laughs> that's true. Let's be. Yeah. I've picked up your packages at the mailbox before. I know. I know. I've been good the last like a <laughs> um, Yeah. So I think, that's, I think that's enough for today. But we have some, we, you know, and I, I hope you understand that what we're trying to do is, um, is be encouraging uh, to you to, um, to dig inside. You don't, have, you don't have to read all these books now, right? Mm-hmm. Dig inside the processes of some of these, um, some of these great thinkers and these great producti- productivity uh, experts. And, um, and, and give us found another expert that we'll have on, on the next show is psychologist Dr. Josh Davis. And he's from the Neuroleadership Institute. And he wrote two awesome hours. Mm-hmm. And he believes the best way to develop a su- successful process is to get started somewhere between 4 and 6 a.m. Look, it's, it, so there's we'll nothing the, like yeah. doing it first thing in the morning. 
Right. Uh, and what you guys don't realize is how much we end up reading in order to make the radio shows and the TV shows and yeah, the Facebook posts, how much we read about processes, how much we read about great thinkers and how much we distill this stuff down. The whole purpose of this, of this podcast right now is to give you guys the insight into the stuff that we're reading that we wish we could yep. say in longer form yeah. uh, in other venues, but that you know, here we get to tell you what, what really motivates us every day. But it's interesting because we're now following uh, a lot of this ad- advice on the show um, and it started for me when uh, when Harper Collins came to me and said, "Hey, we'd like you to write a you know a book about your experiences," and and it, it started off as a chronology, right? That, well, then this happened, then that happened, then I got cancer, then this happened. It was, it was like, gosh, I hate books like this, where it's just I'm, I'm interested in your bio if it relates to helping me get you know further right, in my life, right? And so now the working title is is relentless, and it'll have the word. You'll probably help me come up with this. It'll have the word process in there somewhere, where it's like. How how can you be relentless in the in in the face of insurmountable odds where you're like me where you're a homeless person when you're 20 years old or when everything when you're playing in front of 12,000 people and uh, and some of the stuff you're doing is just is is you're being unfocused and and you're and you're tearing down that part of your uh, of your fan following I've done I've done all of that stuff and so um, it's fun to decode all all of this and it's fun for us to stay in this lane mm-hmm. and uh, and stay focused on that. Well, our show today is brought to you by none other than us. We just brought it to you. <laughs> Welcome. Uh, <laughs> it is hosted by myself. We have enough. We have enough sponsors on the radio <laughs> show. We wanted to do this a couple of episodes without any sponsors. Uh, I am Gib Gerard, G I B G E R A R D. You can find me at facebook.com slash Gib Gerard or at Gib Gerard on all the platforms. With me, of course, is John Tesh. If you have anything you want to say about the show, you can go to facebook.com slash John Tesh. That's where we are almost every single day checking in replying to fan comments and posts, uh, also at John Tesh uh, on on Twitter. So, uh, again, thank you guys for listening. Check out the show notes. I'll put links to some of the books we talked about today. And uh, and if you like this show, if you, if you are a fan of Intelligence for Your Life, the podcast, uh, a.k.a. The Process, then you need to tell your friends about it. And the more you like, comment, rate, comment, and subscribe on all of the different platforms, iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts, the better we do. If you don't like the show... Uh, just ignore us. Just, you know, move on with your life. But if you do, please tell your friends. We want to keep doing it, and we want you to continue to be a part of it. Thank you. <laughs>